But you're an expert at running around, aren't you, Caroline? I believe you and my husband were running around on me for at least six months before I finally wised up and kicked him out. I'd kicked Tal out, but he hadn't gone far. The judge in our divorce case was an old family friend of Tal's daddy, Big Tal. He'd given our 1858 townhouse to Tal in the property settlement, and only after my lawyer raised the god-awfulest ruckus you ever heard had he tossed me a bone, basically, awarding me the slim two-story carriage house right behind the big house. Tal installed Caroline in the big house the minute the paperwork was completed, and we've had a running back-fence spite match ever since. My lawyer, who also happens to be my Uncle James, talked himself blue in the face trying to persuade me to sell out and move, but he knows better than to try to make a Foley change your mind. On Charlton Street, I'd make my stand, to live and die in Dixie. Move? Me? No siree, Bob. Caroline flicked a strand of hair out of her face. She looked me up and down and gave me a supercilious smile. It was Thursday. I'd been up at dawn cruising the still-darkened lanes of Savannah, trying to beat the trashmen to the spoils of the town's leading lights. I looked like hell. My junking uniform, black leggings and a blue denim work shirt, was caked in grime from the dumpsters I'd been digging through. My short red hair was festooned with cobwebs. My nails were broken, and peeling paint flakes clung to the back of my knuckles. The day's pickings had been unusually slim. The two huge boxes of old books I'd pounced on behind an Italianate brownstone on Barnard Street had yielded up mostly mildewed, totally worthless Methodist hymn books from the 1930s. A carton of pretty occupied Japan dishes rescued from a pile of junk at a house on Washington Avenue hadn't turned up a single piece not chipped, cracked, or broken. The only remotely promising find was an old cookie tin of buttons I'd bought for two dollars at a yard sale I'd nearly passed up on my way back to the carriage house. It was that box of buttons I'd been sorting when Caroline had mounted her assault on my front door. Now there was a soft pooting noise behind me. Caroline literally looked down her long Latin nose at me and curled her full-blown upper lip. My God, she cried, what is that wretched smell? I sniffed and looked over my shoulder at Jethro, who was slinking in the other direction. It's not Jethro, I said, leaping to my dog's defense. I pointed over at the wrought iron railing in the entryway, where I draped the tattered hooked rug I'd been trying to air out before bringing it inside. It's probably the rug, I said. I got it out of an old crack house on Huntington. I think maybe it's got fleas. Caroline jumped back as though the rug were a live skunk. I can't believe the filthy garbage you drag back here, she began. It's appalling, and it's no wonder I have to have the house sprayed twice a month. I told Tal, Wheezy is infesting our house. Behind me, in the vest pocket living room, my telephone was starting to ring. Gotta go now, I said. Got a business to run. I slammed the door in her face and turned the deadbolt lock. Jethro licked my toe in gratitude. Roro, I said gently, not wanting to hurt his feelings. That was bad. No more bologna sandwiches for you, little buddy. I caught the phone on the fourth ring. Wheezy, wait till you hear. It was Bebe Loudermilk, my best friend, who
whose mother, exhausted after having had eight previous children in ten years, had settled upon the name Bebe, with the French pronunciation, for her ninth and last child. To Bebe, being last meant she was always in a hurry, always trying to catch up. She was a human hurricane who never wasted time starting a conversation with any conversational pleasantries, such as, hey, or how have you been? Go ahead and guess, she urged. You're getting married again? Bebe had only ditched husband number three a few months earlier, but like I said, Bebe's a fast worker, and she never liked being without a man. This is serious, Wheezy, Bebe said. Guess who's dead? Richard, I said hopefully. Richard was Bebe's second husband, the one who'd had the unfortunate proclivity for phone sex. Bebe was still fighting with the phone company over all the bills Richard had rung up calling 1-900-U-SCREW. Be serious now, Bebe demanded. Emery Cooper called me this morning. You know Emery, don't you, darling? He's a Cooper, hail Cooper, you know, from the funeral home.